0: The following audio is from the Sunday morning worship service at First Baptist Church in Clayton. More information about First Baptist Church can be found at www.fbcclayton.com. This morning we're getting to uh, the part which, if if you know anything about Ecclesiastes, this is probably the part that you know. um, If for no other reason, and especially if you're a child of the 60s, uh, if for no other reason than for the birds, And their song, right? Uh, Or if you're a, in my case, if you're a child of a child of the 60s, you're probably familiar with it as well. Uh, If you ever saw Forrest Gump, it was on the soundtrack. All right, the the birds, right? Turn, turn, turn. Um, This is right out, and and I pulled the song up last night because I hadn't heard it in a while. And so I pulled it up just to listen to it. and, And the words are word for word right out of Ecclesiastes 3. So I guess that was maybe the original praise and worship song. I'm not sure. Um, but I'm not sure you could classify the birds as a praise and worship band, but they had a uh, what is a scripture song. Um, so let's go to Ecclesiastes three. Turn, turn, turn. All right. <laughs> um, um, and, and while while you're turning there, let me let me just kind of recap where we've been so far. Um, some some of the key principles from Ecclesiastes are that. Um, life is short. That, and in fact, far shorter than most of us realize, far shorter than most of us hope, life is short. And and if you remember uh, week one, we said, uh, where it says vanity of vanities, or or if you have the NIV, it's going to say meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. That word vanity can be translated breath. And and so rather than, necessarily saying that everything is worthless, it's saying everything is short. And, and as I was r- looking over this again last night, I thought, wow, what, how, how more have we been shown that than this week with the things that happened, that, that life is short? Because nobody went to the Boston Marathon thinking that would be their last day. On Thursday, nobody went to work at a fertilizer factory thinking that would be their last day. So life is short, much shorter than we realize. We're going we're gonna to talk about that more as we get into it. Um, then another key theme that there is nothing new under the sun. Everything's been done before. Maybe we can do it a little bit flashier, a little bit fancier, a little bit faster. But in the end, nothing is new. It's been done before. And then last week, we looked at Solomon's great life experiment, where he uh, tried to find lasting meaning and pleasure, and, and he said that um, it was a chasing after wind, that he was striving after something that he could not attain. And so that brings us to Ecclesiastes 3, uh, and so stand with us. We're going to read through verse 8 here together. We're going to be all through, we're going to go through the whole chapter of uh, chapter 3, but for right now, let's just read verses 1 through 8. It says this, to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for peace, a time for war and a time for peace. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this great passage. May you reveal your word to us this morning. May you show how we can live our lives according to, to your word. And where there are attitudes and actions that need to change, I pray you would do that in us this morning. Um, let your word speak and let it change hearts and minds. We ask this in your name. Amen. All right, you can be seated. Um, now, as I said at the beginning of Ecclesiastes, when, when we started chapter one, it's important that we're looking at the book through the proper set of lenses. Um, and, and so we have to make sure that we're not reading this text um, in the wrong way. And so what Solomon's doing here is he is making an observation about the way life works. So as he looked at his own life, as he looked at the lives around him, his poem in verses 1 through 8 is going to be observations about things that we encounter in life. He is not making a theological statement about the way life should operate. And so you have people who have taken this, uh, um, and in verse 8 when it says a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war, who say, see right there, the Bible prescribes that there are times that it's okay to war. Um, That is misreading the text. He's not saying it's okay to go to war. What he's saying is that generally speaking, in most of our lives, we are going to experience times of war. And if you look at our nation over the past Two hundred and thirty years. Each generation has seen at least one war, have we not? I can count a couple on my hand just in the in the few years that I've been alive. I, he's not saying, "Hey, let's just go to war." He's saying, you're, "You're going to experience war just like you're going to experience times of peace." Okay, so. Um, we, we have to make sure that we're not trying to make this theological statements about uh, how God wants life to work. Rather, he's, he's laying out the reality of what most of us experience in life. Okay, so let's go through this real quick. Time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to pluck up what is planted. Uh, at the very basic, your life is uh, you were born and someday you will die. Until Christ returns, each of us will experience death. The, mort- the mortality rate is still 100% the last time I checked. One out of one people die, okay? Um, what, what's, what's the old saying? Death and taxes, right? That's, that's, that's the things that are, that are certain in life, okay? Um, a- and so it's a sobering reality, but it's a reality we have to understand, is that unless Christ comes back, and I'm, I'm by no means ruling that out, I think it's possible that we're the generation that sees his return, but I'm also realistic in that people have been saying that for the last 2,000 years. Paul thought he was going to see the return of Christ. I hope it comes. But if it doesn't, we're all going to have our day where the casket is rolled in to the front of the church and we're given a service and people will walk by and talk about how good we look. Even if they're lying, like no one, right? Nobody says, man, man. That is awful, okay? No, everyone looks, oh, he looks so good, okay? <laughs> okay? Um, and so, so we're all going to have that day unless Christ returns. So you have to understand that's where you're headed. That is in your immediate future, and that is a certainty. I can't tell you what is going to happen to you tomorrow. I can't tell you whether or not you're ever going to see a million dollars in your retirement fund, but I can tell you with a good deal of certainty that one day you will die. And as we're going to see, and I think as as the world shows us, if we're we're realistic, it's coming sooner than we realize. Very few people ever wake up and say, I think I'll die today. Seems like a good good day to die, okay? Very few people wake up on the morning and think it's their last day on earth. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what's planted. My dad was a cotton farmer. And so we are entering May, June um, cotton season where where they plant. And then come about November, come come about Thanksgiving, um, if there's rain, they will be harvesting cotton. It's a time of season, just like life. There's a time to plant. There's a time to harvest. A time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down, a time to build up. Um, Now, again, here, he's not talking about what constitutes a just war. He's not saying, "There comes a day you just ought to go out and kill somebody. That's not what Solomon's saying. What he's saying is that in our lives, sometimes that comes, right? If you were a hunter, you would agree wholeheartedly with this. Okay, oh, time to kill, right? And then there's a time to heal, a time to heal what has been injured, okay? Um, time to break down and a time to build up. Now, as a sometimes um, Cow- Dallas Cowboys fan, okay, for, for some reason I can deal with the Rangers. Like, if they're good, bad, whatever, I'm a fan. With the Cowboys, there just comes a point, it's like, really? And, and, and I jump ship. And so, so when football season rolls around, when September gets here, man, I will be a Cowboys fan, and by November, I may no longer be a Cowboys fan, okay, depending on what kind of year Tony Romo's having. Um, but in, for, for Cowboys fans, there was a, there was a day um, about three years ago that was just awful to watch, and that was when Texas Stadium was imploded, because that's a piece of Texas history. And yet, they built the brand new Jerry World in Arlington, and so... Texas Stadium went. There was a time to build and a time to break down, and the same is true in all of our lives. This church building, one day, there will come the day when this church building no longer stands. That's the nature of things. It's just not, and I hope that it's because there's a much larger, nicer facility because we're blowing the doors off of this place, but there will come a day when this building will no longer be here because it's the nature of how life works. There's a time to build. There's a time to tear down. A time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to, yes, Baptists, dance. Okay? I'm not saying we're going to start dancing in here. I'm just saying this, this, this is the word of God, okay? That's what it says. There is a time. And, and all of these are important. So think about, think about the people you know. If you know somebody who never weeps, what does that say about their emotional state? That probably says that they are somewhat unbalanced or naive about life. Now, on the other hand, um, you have people who uh, never laugh. Anybody been in churches with people who never laugh? People who never smile? Well, how are you doing today, bro? Oh, I'm just fine. God, bless. oh, the Lord is so good. Oh, is he? All right. <laughs> Glad I don't have that relationship with the Lord. That's, man. Um, all right, that, these, are, these are part of a normal life. Verse 5 and 6, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. Cast away stones and, and gathering stones. The best illustration I have of this is Christmas morning. All right? All of us have experienced with our kids, with ourselves, um, Christmas morning where you get something new and shiny and it's fantastic. And come New Year's, it's no longer quite as fantastic. Some of the, some of the, um, the glimmer and, and the newness has worn off. And yet, does that mean we don't like new things anymore? No, I love new things. I love toys. I'm like a, I'm like a kid trapped in a grown-up's body. Um, I, I love new things. I, I get so excited for Christmas and, and for birthdays and, and getting new things. But you know what? eventually those things wear off. And what was the prized possession on Christmas morning ends up in a garage sale. Okay, let me, let me say this. What was once a prized possession on Christmas morning should eventually someday end up in a garage sale. If not, um, the Learning Channel will be at your doorstep and, uh, with their 1-800-GOT-JUNK trucks, and you will be put on TV in a show called Hoarders, Okay? Now, I'm not calling TLC for any of you yet, okay, but I'm just saying this: there's a time to cast away stones, okay? And I say this to myself because Michelle will tell you I'm one of the worst people about throwing things away. I'm just like, well, have, she's like, have you worn this in a year? No, but I might. <laughs> it might be useful someday. You never know. Um, I come by it honestly, my aunt, my, my dad, uh, hoarding tendencies. Not, not clinical hoarders, but hoarding tendencies, um, which I learned after my dad passed away when, when we went up into the attic. And, and my mom just said, I need you to go up there and get some boxes down. Uh, she said, I don't know what's in this stuff. So I brought it down um, college textbooks and things like that. Then I went, and, and then, it, then it occurred to me I have some college textbooks tucked away in a box that I haven't touched in a couple of years. So that, that kind of forced me to say, okay, I don't want Noah and Haley one day having to go through all my stuff and, and say, what? Why didn't he touch this in 40 years? Why does he still have it? So I had to, I had to cast away some things. Um, time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. It would look a little awkward if you and your spouse were just hugging each other everywhere you went. Okay. <laughs> it, it would be a little weird. Okay. So there's a time to embrace. There's a time to refrain from embracing. Again, I thought Christmas. Um, when family comes in, and maybe that's a blessing, maybe that's a plight to you. I don't know, depending on your family dynamic. Um, Christmas is either the best week of the year or the most dreaded week of, like, the decade, okay? So um, there is a time to embrace, a time to welcome family in, and there's a time to refrain from embracing and say, see you next decade, okay? <laughs> right? There, th- that, that's, that's the way life works. A time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep, and a time to cast away. That, that, that goes right along with, with verse 5, right where we were. Verse 7 is interesting, a time to tear, and a time to sew, a time to keep silence, and a time to speak. Uh, this is probably referring to a funeral. So in, in those days, in the days that Solomon's writing this, when there was a funeral, people would literally tear their garments, uh, they would cover themselves in ashes as a sign that they were mourning. And what he's saying is there's a time for that. There's a time to tear. There's a time to mourn your loss. But then there's a time to sow. A time for healing. A time to move on with life. Um, probably the best example of this is um, Job. Job chapter 1 verse 20 says, Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head, and fell on the ground, and worshipped. There's a time to keep silence. And again, that's referring to mourning, a time to, to withdraw. And then there's a time to speak. So even in, even in mourning, even when we lose those uh, loved ones and friends who are close to us, there is a time for mourning, a time to tear, a time to keep silence. But then there comes a time to sow. A time to heal, a time to speak. Second uh, Samuel chapter twelve. If you if you want to, you can turn there. Second Samuel chapter twelve, verse twenty. This is right after um, the David and Bathsheba incident, and the child um, when when the child passed away. This is what it says. Then David arose from the earth, and washed and anointed himself, and changed his clothes, and he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. He then, uh, he then went to his own house, and when he asked, they set food before him, and he ate. Then his servant said to him, What is this that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive, but when the child died, you arose and ate food. He said, While the child was alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, Who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live, but now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. David mourned, David wept, but David healed. He moved on. And in fact, it's, it's Bathsheba to which Solomon is born. And so even this, uh, this sin that David commits, God still blesses his life. And, and through Bathsheba, we have Solomon who gives us the words that we're reading now. Um, verse 8, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Now, this verse is arranged chronologically, the way things work. You love somebody, there's a time to love. Then maybe they do something, and that love turns into hate. Hate, if it's allowed to go long enough, will eventually lead to war. And then after war is peace. And so this this verse is arranged chronologically at the way that, that things work. Again, these are simply observations of the way that life works, uh, what a typical life will see. Um, some people may see all of these things in their lifetime. Some may not see them all. Some may only see some. And, and some of these that I, I hope you are spared um, such as war. I, I hope that we're spared as many wars as possible and yet so far every generation here in America has seen war. I hope that your times of mourning are far less than your times of laughing, but mourning is a part of life. These are just, um, he's not saying that God has ordained all of these in your life, so he's not saying that somehow if, um, if you're missing one of these, that your life is incomplete. He's just, he's just giving a, a typical life overview. So now let's go on, verses 9 through uh, 15. What gain has the worker from his toil? Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear him, fear before him. That which is already has been, that which is to be already has been, and God seeks what has been driven away. Um, And so verse 9 where he talks about what gain has the worker, this goes back to last week where Solomon built and built and and built not only palaces and, and his own house, he built houses for his wives, 700 of them and then it says he built cities and so he set out uh, to build and and he said in the end it just felt blah it was fun for a while but after you've built 20 cities what fun is there in building another city um it, it just it got old and then um verse 10 i've seen the business that god has given to the children of man To be busy with now, as I said last week, Solomon was uniquely positioned for his experiment on finding pleasure because he had more wealth than anyone ever has before him or since, and probably than anyone ever will in the future. And so he saw life from a very unique perspective, and 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 it puts him in a unique position to be able to comment on this. And if and if you remember. Last week, he said um, at the end of chapter 1, he said it is an unhappy business. This is chapter 1, verse 13. This, it is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with in that no matter how much we work, no matter how much we seek after pleasure, to an extent we are going to be spinning our wheels because ultimate fulfillment's not there. And that's where he talked last week about chasing after wind, trying to grasp something that's not there. And even if you grab it. You open your hand and there's nothing there. Verse 11 is, is one that's also very well known. He has made everything beautiful in its time. And, and the word beautiful there can also be translated appropriate. So in each of these, in, in what he's talked about in, in the first part of chapter 3, each of these things is appropriate in its setting. There are times when it's appropriate to laugh. There are times when it's appropriate to mourn. There are times it's appropriate to gather stones or to get new things and enjoy new things. There's times when it's appropriate to get rid of old things, cast things away. And even a time to be born and a time to die, listen, it's beautiful and appropriate when life begins. If you're a parent, you've experienced this firsthand. Life is beautiful when it begins, and, and get this, for the follower of Christ, life is beautiful when it ends on this earth. Maybe you've been at those funerals that, that even though we're sad, it, it's, it's, it's a relief and it's a celebration to be able to say that they've gone on, that they're experiencing their reward. It's a beautiful thing when life ends for those who know Christ. Things have their place when it's appropriate. Second part of verse 11. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Now, what he's saying here is the universal statement, the universal question that all religions that have ever been try to figure out. And that is, there must be something more. There must be something bigger than just this life. He's put eternity into man's heart. So so each of us, I would say to a man, people long for something more than than just this life. There's there's this feeling that that there's that the 70 years I'm given here, the 80 years I'm given here can't be all there is. There's got to be something more. And yet what he said, look what he says, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. So we try to find our our place in the greater story. We try to find our place in human history. Try to find ourselves in the meta-narrative of the gospel, which simply means the bigger story. So when I read God's word, and I read about what he's done in the past, and then I read in Revelation about what he's going to do in the future, where do I fit into this story? And in the end, Solomon says that ultimately we can't know that. Ultimately, we don't know where we fit in. Because um, he says he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to end. This uh, drew my attention to Isaiah 55, verses 6 through 9, which you will know. It says this, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Verses 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. In the end, God will do what God will do. And sometimes it makes no sense to us. And here, here's the really tough part. But, but the truth of, of the word of God is this. And he doesn't owe us an explanation. When God does something and we don't understand it and we don't like it, his response to us, I think, is twofold. First of all, this. Your ways are not my ways. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. And secondly, I think, there, I think there's a second part of that, and it's what he told Paul when Paul had the thorn in the flesh. And he says he prayed three times for the Lord to, re- to remove it. And the response he got was this, my grace is sufficient from, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So, so God's first response to us when, when we complain about things we don't like, things we don't understand, number one, you don't have to understand it. My ways are higher than your ways. You don't, you don't see things from my perspective, he says. You don't, you don't see the whole story. And secondly, my grace is sufficient. In other words, trust me. Trust me. Even when you can't see it. There's an old saying that, that, that goes right along with that. When you can't see his hand, trust his heart. Trust We can't find out what God has done from beginning to end because we don't have all the information. As we said last week, um, it's like trying to play a a game of solitaire with a deck of 51 cards. It's not going to work out. We don't have all the information. And so I think that that when we stand in awe of God's wisdom, of God's knowledge, it should cause us to cry out with Paul, as he does in Romans 11, Oh, the depths, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgment and how inscrutable his ways. And inscrutable is a big word. It simply means unfathomable, mysterious, or unknowable. In other words, when, we, when there's something that we can't understand and we see God working even in the midst of of awful circumstances like we've seen this week even though we don't like the circumstances when God can come in and and speak to lives and change lives through awful disasters it should cause us to to not go god that's so unfair i don't understand it should it should cause us to say god i don't understand but how great is the depth of your riches and wisdom, and knowledge. You know the whole story. I don't. So I stand in awe of who you are and in awe of the way you work. Let's go on, verse 12 12 through 13. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live, also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. Now, I don't think he's saying here... um, all you should focus on is um, eating and drinking and working and, and, and cast everything else aside. That's not what he's saying. What he's doing is drawing our attention to the simple things in life. And this goes back to 224, which we read last week. There's nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. God gives us these simple things, that we might find pleasure in them, and then that we might go to him in worship and say thank you for these things. Listen to, this is what the ESV Study Bible has to say about this verse. I I love it. Rather than become embittered by what God has not granted human beings, namely the ability to comprehend all of reality, one should enjoy the gifts that God has given. So instead of focusing on what God hasn't given or on what I don't have, we should focus on what we do have. And how much would our lives change if that's where we were? If we didn't buy into all the commercials that say, uh, well, you need a new Lexus to be happy. What they don't tell you is that you're going to be in debt for the rest of your life trying to pay off that Lexus, which will not make you happy, okay? Okay. And so this flies in the face of our culture, and yet just think about how your life would change if you, if you just sat and, and thanked God for the things you do have instead of daydreaming about the things you don't have. So you don't have a bigger house. You have a house. You have a roof over your head so that when the wind is blowing 90 miles an hour, you're not out there in it in a tent. Praise (laughs) God that I'm not in a tent when it's blowing 90 miles an hour. What if we became content with what we had and praised God for what we had instead of reaching and chasing after what we don't? Thinking that despite what our live history has told us and all the other stuff that we got, thinking it would make us happy and it didn't, this one thing will make me happy. This one thing will fulfill my life, even though the last thing didn't, and the thing before that didn't, but this thing will. Man, how much our lives would change. Verse 14 and 15, I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. And I think what he's saying there is God's work trumps human work what God does nothing can be added to his work is perfect Uh, and then verse 15 that which is already has been that which is to be already has been and God seeks what has been driven away and this goes back to chapter 1 verses 9 and 10 which says what has been is what will be and what has been done is what will be done there is nothing new under the sun Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new, it has been already in the ages before us. And so, if you remember that first week, we talked about how the internet has allowed us to communicate uh, uh, faster, how it's allowed us to communicate maybe more effectively, but in the end, it's the same thing that people have been doing for thousands of years when they would write on tablets and then give them to people. When they would draw on cave walls, it's communication. Airplanes allow us to get from point A to point B a whole lot faster than Lewis and Clark did, but in the end, it's still traveling. It's the same thing that people have been doing since the beginning of time. There's there's nothing new in principle. And let's read, let's go on 16 through 22. um, This is where we're going to uh, close. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. What he's saying there is that even though there's unrighteousness and there's wickedness here, there will come a day when all wickedness and all unrighteousness is gone. He looks forward to the day when God the righteous judge will come and Make truth known. Verse 18 I said in my heart, with regard to the children of man, that God is testing them, that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beast is the same. One, is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beasts, for all is vanity. All go to one place, all are from the dust. And two dust all return. Now he's not making again. He's not making a theological statement about the lack of the afterlife. All he's saying is that from our perspective, you're going to die just like your dog is going to die, and you're going to be buried. Okay, that's what he's saying. I know it's popular, right? Real positive message there. Um, Twenty-one. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth? So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? Um, Basically, what he's saying there is kind of what we talked about last week. One day you're going to die and all the stuff that you've worked real hard for. um, You don't know what's going to happen to it. You can put in your will where you want it to go and how you want it to be spent. But as in Solomon's case, um, his idiot son came up and squandered everything and it says that everything was taken away. So So all the stuff that you worked for, you don't know what's going to happen to it in the end. You don't know who's going to be living in your house 50 years from now. Just like you probably don't know who was living in your house 50 years ago. These verses lay out the brutal truth of our mortality. Right? When he says that you're the same as a beast and that you're going to die and you're going to return to dust, it doesn't get much more plain than that. Okay? That's the reality that he's trying to say. Look, uh, you need to understand that death is coming and you're going to be put in the ground and life is going to move on without you. Now, I realize this is a harsh reality, but, but listen. The world is not going to stop when you die those around you, that their their lives may be, I pray their lives are rocked for a while. I pray you've had that kind of impact on people, that that their lives are rocked. But listen, life is going to go on. When my dad passed away, life was rocked. But you know what? Life goes on, folks. You are going to die. You're going to be put in the ground. And the world's going to keep on going like normal. Now, this is hard for us to hear because I think all of us, or, or let me say this, most of us have this idea in their head, in our head, that somehow we are immortal. In other words, so, so we look at things like, like the bombing at Boston we we look at things like that and, and we and maybe we're we're shaken maybe we mourn but all of us thinks that will never happen to me so September 11th um didn't stop us from getting on airplanes right we we have we have a trip booked to Chicago in August i'll get on an airplane without a second thought of thinking I wonder if this thing's going down today. Uh, that's, that's not what I'm thinking. Some of you may, be, maybe that's why you don't get on airplanes, because you're thinking if I get on the airplane, it's going down. It, that's the end. Uh, that, that's, that's, that's not the way we operate, right? None of us gets in the car going to Amarillo thinking this is going to be, this is it. This is the last trip I'm making. That's, we all think it can't happen to us. And, and the point that Solomon's trying to make is that your time is shorter than you realize. And and so in light of that, the psalmist calls us to number our days. Psalm chapter 90. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. I, I find this amazing that this was written... Several thousand years ago, and he said there, the span of life is 70, or if you're lucky, if you're strong, you get 80 years. Look where we are today. Life expectancy is still somewhere between 70 and 80. Now, I, I'm just curious, how many of y'all are, are over 80, if, if you'll admit to it, over 80? All right, we got a few. We got more than we had, say, um, 30 years ago. We got, we got people living longer, but, but listen to the accuracy of this. 70 or 80. And even then, say God grants you with 100, 105. If you're really a stud, 110 years, okay? You're still going to (laughs) die. That's that's what he's saying. Uh, So verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. In light of how short life is, and as I said, so many of us in here don't have as long as we think we do. Number our days. Now, the good news is that this is where the gospel steps in. This is where the gospel gives us hope. Because that was it, if that was the end, it gets very depressing, Right? Guess what, you might live 110 years, but then you're going to die, and just like your dog and your fish, you're going to go in the ground. Game over. Okay, that's, that's not where I want to leave you. So I want to I close this out, and I know, I know we're running just a little bit over, so I'm going to do this quickly. But this is important. 1 Corinthians 15:12. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? And those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. So again, that's kind of depressing, right? If Christ hasn't been raised, then you're a fool, is what he just said. 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead for as in Adam all die so also in Christ shall all be made alive. This is where the hope of the gospel comes. One day you're going to die. You're going to be put in the ground and life is going to continue on. But if your faith and hope is in Christ, that's not game over for you. That's the beginning of life. This is where our hope is. This is why we can look at Ecclesiastes and not want to go run our car into a pillar on the way home, okay? This is why we can look at Ecclesiastes with a smile because this is where the hope is. It's not in this life. It's not in chasing after things that aren't there. Hope is in Christ. And so as we close... um, and as Chad comes to, to lead us, I have just, just a couple of questions, real, real simple questions for us. And, and the first one should be obvious. After all this talk about death, the first one is, is simply this. If this is your last day, if you walk out these doors and take your last breath, where will you spend eternity? And listen, if, if my understanding of the Bible's right, the, the things that we've seen in the past months, the, the disasters, the human tragedy, the the the, the ugliness of, of humanity that we've seen, if my understanding of the Bible is 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 right, this isn't gonna get better. In fact, the Bible says it's gonna get a whole lot worse. If, 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 if my understanding is right, if we're living in the end times and if we're moving towards the return of Christ, be it 10 years from now, 100 years from now, 1,000 years from now, things are going to get worse until that time. So where's your hope placed? None of us has promised tomorrow. We're not. None of us has promised that we're going to come back here tonight at 6 o'clock for Bible study. That's just the nature of, of life. We've all been there where the phone call has changed our world. So if this is your last day, where will you spend eternity? And if, and if you can't say 100% certain without any doubt that, that your hope is sealed in Christ Jesus and his death and resurrection, then come talk. Let's do some business. Don't leave today with that question still hanging over you because the stakes are too high. Second question is this. If you died today, what would people say about you? What is your legacy? Is your legacy going to be, man, he drove a cool truck? Or is it going to be deeper than that? What eternal impact are you making for the kingdom? As I've said, I don't don't mean this to be depressing, but but I think it's so important. Your day is. And my day may be sooner than any of us realizes. So the real question is simply, are you prepared? Are you ready? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you just once again for this incredible book. And and I know it has some hard things to say to us. Some some things that make us a little uncomfortable because talking about our own death and our own mortality is not is not something that that's fun. And, and yet... I believe that, that we have to look at life knowing that that's where we're headed and that it could be any moment for any of us. So God, if there's anybody here who doesn't have the hope of Christ resurrected, the hope of the gospel, that you would stir their hearts and they'd come and, and make that right today. God, maybe, maybe there are a lot of us who, who know for sure that our eternity is sealed. We're not worried about that, but but the things that we're chasing after are just not what they should be, and so if that's if that's some of us this morning, I pray that you would um, stir our hearts and and show us those areas that need to change, and with repentance and confession needs to happen that 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 would happen, that our eyes would be focused on you, and so that when death comes, whatever the moment may be, we're prepared and we've made an eternal impact on the kingdom of God during our time here. Help us as the song we're about to to sing says, to turn our eyes on you. We ask all this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from the Sunday morning worship service at First Baptist Church in Clayton. We are located at 223 Oak Street, and we would love to have you join us on Sunday mornings for Sunday school at 945 and worship at 11. You can reach us at 374-9285 or at fbcclayton.com.